Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to this Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with uh, Mike and Adam from Anadu. How's it going, guys? How are you doing, uh, Ronan? Very happy to be here. Thank you for having us. No problem. Thank you. Now, first of all, tell us a bit about your backgrounds. Sure, I'll, I'll start with myself. So, uh, my name is Mike Manship. I'm the CEO and founder of Anadu. Uh, my background is actually in big data analytics, uh, particularly from the telco background. And in 2009, I co-founded a company called Verios, which was based in, in telco sort of analytics. We did some really, really, really big uh, data analytics for telcos based on uh, customer experience on their mobile phones and sold that in 2014. And uh, now, now we're back, and we're back in the uh, connected car and micromobility space. Hi, I'm Adam Tarshis, and I'm uh, responsible for marketing and business development at Anadu. Um, previously, well, I've been doing this for uh, 100% of my time for about the last nine months. And before that, I would say 20-odd years selling solutions in the telecom space. So yeah. my customers were people like O2 and Vodafone and those sorts of people, um, rather than selling the handsets or uh, anything that consumers would buy. All right. So tell me, why do you think uh, bike and scooter sharing is growing? That's a great question, Ronan. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. <laughs> so I think, you know, first of all, let's let's give a, a kind of a definition about bike bike and scooter sharing, right? So it's it's becoming known as micromobility. And the definition of micromobility is more or less any vehicle which weighs less than five hundred kilograms, which can be used uh, to much more efficient effect in urban areas. So that means things like electric scooters, it means something like e-bikes or even just bike sharing itself. And really what we're looking at is kind of an urban revolution that's going across the world right now. And we're seeing, and I, you know, I don't know if your listeners are aware of companies like Bird and Lime and Lyft and Uber. I'm sure some of those names will be very familiar, some yeah. of them may or may not. But these are companies that are now stepping into what is seen as a massive market in cities to kind of uh, move away from combustion engine cars and more into a, a kind of a greener way of moving citizens and people and, and cargo around in cities. So let's talk a little bit about what, what it actually is about. So if you look today about transport on a vehicle, right, most people would use their car. Most of the time it's one person in a car. Uh, and the car typically weighs maybe one and a half to two tons, mm -hmm. let's say. And typical people weigh somewhere between, I don't know, 60 and 100 kilograms, somewhere, somewhere in that sort of range, some, some a little more, some a little less. Yeah. And if you think about the efficiency of someone using a vehicle and consuming a lot of uh, petrol or diesel and generating all that carbon to move around a small fraction of useful weight, because most of the weight is taken up by the vehicle, you can see that there is a lot of uh, emissions generated for very little efficiency, right? 
And if we then also take a look at the typical length of journeys in vehicles today, especially in urban areas, and we've actually seen this as Anadu ourselves, we've got real data that we've been using from uh, telematics companies, and we can actually see this. But the vast, vast, vast majority of journeys that take place in cars in and around urban areas are somewhere between zero to six kilometers, let's say. Mm-hmm. The vast, vast majority of them. And if you think about zero to six kilometers, right, that's a, it's a fairly short distance. And in that zero to six kilometers, you're going to be creating a lot of congestion, a lot of pollution, a lot of parking issues, uh, and in general, just a, a lot of pain and suffering for the citizens who live in those areas. So cities, I, go sorry. ahead. I was going to say, I, I think going back to the uh, the exact word, wording of Ronan's original question, why is it taking off? I would say there, there are three parties involved in the growth of the shared mobility. There's the rider, who obviously wants to get to from A to B in a convenient way, um, quickly, convenient, fast, uh, comfortable, um, saving time and money. Um, there's the, the city that generally at the moment is worried about things like air quality and safety and carbon footprint um, and planning for the future. And then there's the third party, which is the operator of the micro-mobility scheme, the, the, the people that own the scooters or the bicycles. Um, with the micro-mobility schemes, when they're well run and set up in a, in a good way, all three of those parties benefit. The rider, the city, and the scooter operator are all able to get a, a win from, from the scheme. So there, there is no loser, really, in, in the in the ecosystem. The city benefits from uh, financially quite often that some of the micro-mobility schemes pay the city for you know, parking spaces or, or right to, to leave the scooters in the city centre. The, obviously, the operator of the, of the scooters is charging riders and the rider wouldn't use it if it wasn't a benefit to them. They would walk or drive the car or catch a bus or whatever it is. So, if it's well run and operating in a good way, there, there's no downside and, and everybody's winning. So I think that's the reason they're taking off all over the world at an enormous rate at the moment. Yeah, I guess so. And also, tell me what you guys do with Anadu. Well, Anadu, we're kind of building a location intelligence analytics product, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a bunch of that's a bunch of words right there. But really what we do is we take data from cars uh, that are connected to the internet and we take data from vehicles like micromobility vehicles electric scooters shared bikes etc and we put it all together uh, into an analytics system to help the micromobility operators first of all understand you know how they how their vehicles are deployed how efficiently they're being used where they're being deployed uh, how long riders are using them for that sort of thing but also very importantly for the cities it helps the cities understand the benefits of micromobility. So the city looks at our product and they can see two very important things, right? They can see road congestion, which we generate from the connected car data, and they can see the micromobility usage in various areas around the city. And what we're trying to prove to the city is that micromobility usage actually decreases all of the kinds of problems that we were talking about, you know, the pollution, the parking, the speeding, all those kinds of issues that are, that are 
that come with um, with vehicles with big with big cars. So essentially, we're acting as a bridge in terms of providing the analytics to unlock micromobility in cities. We allow the cities to understand the benefit, and then the cities are more given to letting more permits out to the micromobility companies in that city. So that's really how Anadu fits into the ecosystem. We're kind of bridging between micromobility companies and cities uh, in order to kind of smooth the flow of this of this urban revolution. Yeah, there, there has been some examples around the world where the introduction of scooters or bicycles has not gone smoothly, and. Uh, this is often because the scooters are badly parked, um, just left all over the place on narrow pavements and people trip over them or they fall over. You know, you, they're not in a, in a sort of rack. They're just left collapsed on the floor. If anyone with um, visual impairment could easily uh, trip over them, if you're in a wheelchair, it's hard to get around them. So there has been examples uh, both in Europe and the USA where cities have changed their mind and said, no, we don't want these uh, vehicles. Um, and, and that's where we are coming in. We are helping both to uh, communicate the benefits in both directions and also to enable the city to even enforce some rules and regulations to ensure the smooth introduction of micromobility. So, um, like I said at the beginning, it's a win-win situation in a well set up scheme and we are part of making a scheme uh, run smoothly so the city has full visibility of both the road traffic and the uh, the, the micro mobility traffic and uh, with that extra vi visualization of what's going on they can plan they can decide that there's so many people riding these bikes they want to put in extra yeah. cycle paths they can identify where to put them they can work out where they need to put some dedicated parking spaces for bikes and scooters and all these sorts of things that maybe will just reduce any of the downsides of having you know thousands of these small vehicles moving around a, a busy city because yeah, i don't get if something leaves a scooter lying on, lying on the floor on the ground how does the uh, scooter company know that that scooter is, can't be stolen but it's not in a dedicated parking dock that's a very good question. Well, firstly, I think we haven't actually mentioned that there are two sort of broad categories of, of schemes. One where the bikes have to be left in a dock yeah. uh, and others, which are the more recent concept, you basically just park your bike anywhere. You can you can leave it by a lamppost, by a tree, um, in someone's car parking space, and it is not required to be put into a dock. So, Many of the schemes, especially for the scooters, many of the schemes around the world do not require the vehicles to be locked into a dock at the end of the journey. You just tell an app on your phone that you finished your journey and the bike or the scooter locks itself. It's not locked to anything. It's just locked. The wheels won't turn. Mm -hmm. um, so that is sort of partly the answer to the question that the vehicles are not designed to be locked. But on the other hand, as you say, a bicycle that's fallen over is a lot more inconvenient than a bicycle that's standing up on a, on a bicycle stand, its own internal bicycle stand. Um, and, and most of the bicycles and scooters out there today have some sort of tilt detectors built into them. Yeah. So the operator will know if, if a bicycle or a scooter has been knocked over and is, is causing an obstruction. Yeah, for example, if you have a car, there's certain parts of the city where you don't park a car where you can't park it. 
Surely with schools and bikes, there should be certain places you can park and not park them. Exactly. Exactly. And that is that is very um, typical of the kind of approach that is now being taken by cities, uh, especially in the U.S., right? So in the U.S., I think uh, when, when some of these micromobility operators first started operating, uh, it was in a kind of a, a, a lack of regulation environment. And so they did what they do, which is basically take, take their service out to the people. Uh, and it was at that point that cities then started seeing maybe some of the issues around unregulated micromobility use. And as, as Adam was talking about, I mean, that's typically parking and that sort of thing. But now we're starting to see a lot more regulation coming in. We're starting to see a regulatory framework, which is almost becoming kind of there are common elements across different cities in the U.S. And those same kinds of common elements we're now starting to see migrated to European cities as well. So, uh, you know, typical examples in the U.S. would be San Francisco, or Portland or Los Angeles. Those would be three major micromobility centers. But there are lots and lots and lots of smaller cities that are now starting to adopt on the basis of those kinds of regulations that are implemented in the big cities. We're seeing the same now in Europe. We're seeing Paris. Uh, just a, a few days ago, Germany has uh, done has said yes to electric scooters for the first time on the basis of a, of a set of common rules as well. Simple rules like things like you can't ride on the pavement, you have to ride on the road, you should wear a helmet, you can only go up to 25 kilometers an hour, uh, you should only go in certain zones in, in the city or ride on, on certain roads. Uh, and then there's also typically regulations around putting a certain number of vehicles in underserved areas. Yeah. Uh, which which makes uh, which makes the service a bit more democratic as well. So we're seeing a whole regulatory framework being put into place around the world to support uh, this type of micromobility. Yeah, and I think one of the exciting things is just like um, Mike said earlier, we take our data from connected cars, so cars that have some sort of internet connection that that gives us their GPS location, yeah. their speed, their direction, uh, other information about the car. But also, almost all of these small shared e-bikes and shared e-scooters are connected. I mean, they, they have their own GPS receivers built into them. They have their own batteries. They have their own uh, SIM cards or whatever to radio to inform the world where they are, what they're doing, whether they've fallen over, where they're being ridden. Um, and therefore, you can very easily put in uh, rules and regulations into the software that says, you know, you are not allowed to ride this bicycle in the park or you mustn't ride um, over a certain speed limit at certain times of day or whatever because everything is connected it's not like a traditional bicycle that basically you can go as fast as you want to go yeah. this thing is is a internet of things device it's connected back to the to the mothership the mothership knows where it is at all times where it's going what speed it's on uh, what speed it's doing um, it, it's it's a very different uh, beast to a traditional vehicle and I guess in the long term you can have a scenario where you can tell the uh, when you get your rent your scooter or your bike you can you can tell it where you're going to go, so it'll know when the bike's going to be free to be used again. Well, I think there's a number of different ways that you can actually uh, improve how the how the vehicles are used. Right, that is definitely a very good and interesting way, and it's also a way of actually helping the operator understand where he should be locating uh, his scooters for maximum effect. Yeah, but there's all there's all kinds of ways of, of making sure that uh, you know that scooters are going to the right areas. Um, if you if you think about concepts like geofencing, 
where you have certain areas which are the, the scooter is permitted to, to ride in and certain areas where the scooter is permitted to park, that can all actually be controlled remotely and you can actually download instructions live to the scooter uh, in, in some of the new generation scooters in order to slow them down if they're outside a, a permitted area uh, and to continue to charge the user if they don't park them in the right place or in the right way. So we're seeing now, you know, that some of the technical solutions are coming in place to solve some of the problems that were seen a year or a year ago or so in the US. And yeah. we're seeing there's a next generation that's coming along as well, which is much more concerned about rider safety and pedestrian safety. And we're going to start seeing things like ways to validate the user is wearing a helmet, ways to make sure there's only one person on the scooter, not two, or you know, some 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 kind of party bus type scooter. Nobody wants that at the moment. Yeah. So uh, you know, there's a there's a whole new generation that is coming up pretty soon that's going to contain a lot of safety features as well. One of the big challenges facing the operators of the scooter schemes or the bike schemes is uh, what's known as rebalancing. And this is basically your typical rush hours in the mornings. Everybody's coming from the suburbs into town. And then in the evening, everyone's going from the town back out to the suburbs. So you don't want to have all of your scooters in a massive pile um, in the middle of town at nine o'clock in the morning and then there not be any scooters available at all at five o'clock in the evening. So there's a a challenge to get the location of the scooters optimal so that when you need a scooter, there's a scooter within a convenient distance from from your starting location. Um, And there's, there's a lot of complexity involved in doing that because generally it means you need to have people on the ground moving the scooters around in order to make sure that the fact that there are nine times as many people going in one direction as the other direction doesn't mean that when you want a scooter, there, there isn't a scooter within two or three kilometers of where you can happen to be. So this, this analytics of supply and demand is uh, a key feature of the Anadu solution, really looking at where the scooters are being used and where the scooters are currently located and trying to ensure that every journey that somebody wants to take, there is a scooter available for them. And also in long term, you're able to cut down on insurance costs if you know certain areas that they're, they're, they're going to be stolen, you know that you can't have uh, biker scooters in that area. Well, that, that, that's very true, but that would also need to be part of your agreement with the city because, as Max said earlier, quite often cities will say they want certain numbers of scooters in certain parts of town. They don't want the operators creaming off all the profitable uh, high um lucrative jobs in one part of town and leaving another part of town completely absent of of vehicles so uh, you would need to come to some agreement with the city I think as to whether or not you could completely uh, avoid a part of town because it was uh, a high vandalization zone or something but but yes I mean in principle you're right it's uh, it's certainly maybe you wouldn't want to leave them there overnight or something like that yeah it's yeah. It's actually a, a problem that is particularly, I think, prevalent in, in the UK, where we see, you know, some some sharing companies have basically pulled pulled back yeah. from some of the cities in the UK. But I think there are ways to kind of ameliorate that kind of problem as well. Uh, the first one really is probably is educating people into the benefits that it's actually bringing to them. Right. The second one is to manage how people want to use the service. 
So if there are a few people in an area who want to use the service, then you know that should be reflected in the number of vehicles that are made available to them as well. The other way that can also be used to kind of um, to incentivize maybe the micromobility companies to to serve these more um, uh, underserved areas is to consider how much to charge for the number of vehicles in a particular area. So, for instance, a model in the U.S. for this is precisely to uh, for the permits. They, 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 the cities give out a number of permits, uh, and some of the permits will be charged at a discounted rate if the micromobility operator guarantees a certain number of vehicles are made available in certain areas. All right. Now, also, tell me a bit more about, about your smart city product. Well, the smart city product is kind of the bridge between micromobility and the smart cities. And we can sell to both micromobility companies with this, um, as well as the cities. So for the micromobility companies, what we're doing is we're providing an interface to the city for them. So it's very typical that the city will require data sharing from any micromobility service. So that they can see how the other services are operating in the city and they can see, you know, who's, who, you know, which, which kinds of areas have more demand and less demand and which roads are being used importantly as well. So the city wants to understand how to support this kind of micromobility service because, you know, you, if, you, if you see particular roads that might be narrow and dangerous, lots of cars speeding on them, and you see it's being used all the time by scooters, you probably want to put in like a bike lane or something like that in order to make sure everyone remains safe. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good way to ensure that, that people are encouraged to use this, this service as well. So the city wants to understand the, the data from these services, and we provide that interface. We provide a whole number of reports which are very interesting to cities typically because they don't have the same kind of visibility into their streets that we do. Um, the city also benefits in terms of uh, looking at the, the way the services are used across different companies. So if they can see that you know company A uh, is educating their users better and those those users are using the service better than company B. The city can then understand, you know, how they should divide up the permits and uh, how to encourage other micromobility companies to follow the same model that the more successful, uh, the more successfully educated customers are, are following with that micromobility company. So there's a lot of, of that ability for the service, for the cities to understand the services. But it's also an ability we, we provide this ability for micromobility companies to differentiate their services from other micromobility companies. If we go in with a micromobility company, we can show the city exactly what they want to see and provide the micromobility company the opportunity to prove that their service is working well, that they're educating their users well, that uh, everything is running smoothly from their side. And that's a way for them to differentiate the service in order to get more permits. Anything else you want to add? And also, uh, anything you want to add to that, uh, Adam? I think um, what we're seeing right now is, is several countries actually looking at their legislation to uh, to be able to join the, the micromobility tsunami. Um, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm currently 
bidding in the UK, and there's uh, been some papers prepared um, on, on analysis of transport. And one of the recommendations is to look at scooters, because uh, similar to Ireland, we do not have any um, legal way to use a scooter at the moment. It can't be used on the road because it's not a, a, a road vehicle. It can't be used on the pavement because it isn't a, a, a normal bicycle. Um, and I believe you have this very similar situation in Ireland right now. But Ireland also is looking to uh, work out what it needs to do to make it uh, possible to use scooters. I mean, scooters are really good for short journeys because they are very small. They're very convenient. They use almost um, you know, the minimal amount of power because they're so light. You can get a lot of them into a small parking space. Parking space for one car could probably have 10 scooters. So we're seeing lots of... Um, governments at the moment reviewing their their policies to scooters in order to join join this uh, very big revolution in mobility that's uh, starting and uh, spreading and obviously it's big already in, in many cities in america we're seeing huge take up in paris and uh, Barcelona and Madrid. Um, but I think that the benefits to the city are so big, uh, we will see it becoming across the whole of the world within a very short amount of time. The take-up rate is, is incredibly quick. And it, yeah, let, let, let me just talk a little bit about uh, what's happening in Ireland as well. Yeah. So uh, I believe at the moment uh, the RSA, the Road Safety Association, is busy looking at uh, the viability of scooters and regulations around scooters as done by other cities around the world. Um, at the moment, the situation in Ireland, as uh, I think everyone knows around scooters, is that they are classed as a mechanically propelled vehicle, um, which is a technical distinction, I think, that, that is probably going to be looked at very closely in the next short while. Uh, we've got uh, people like Noel Rock, TD Noel Rock, who's yeah. busy uh, making some some is asking some interesting questions around this at the moment as well and is hoping to drive this forward. Uh, and in fact, he's very interested in what we're doing as well. But we've also got uh, other actors in all of this as well, because Enterprise Ireland, for instance, is very interested in the kinds of companies that are in this space right now, because it's an opportunity uh, for companies like us to, to get into a very large market and a very fast growing market worldwide. So I think, you know, the government in the form of Enterprise Ireland is very interested in this. Uh, the IDA, for instance, is very interested in this because it provides them an opportunity to market Ireland as the kind of place where you want to to bring some some interesting people and some interesting technologies because we've got the right kinds of people and companies here to develop some real inno innovative pro products. So there's a lot of support that's coming, but we're still stuck right now with the current issue of scooters defined as mechanically propelled vehicles. But hopefully that's going to change in the near future. I know there's a lot of movement uh, behind the scenes right now to make sure that uh, this is looked at very closely. Well, I think you've sort of like going to a, a university campus like UCD, for example, it's pretty big, and and put them in there first and show if they work there, they can work anywhere else. And that's a place where if you use them, use them in that kind of scenario, there's less likely you hold something getting killed or injured or damaged by them. You're, you're exactly right there, Ronan, and, and uh, I fully expect that probably... What will happen, I hope, in the near future is that there will be a pilot set up in some sort of uh, controlled space where we can start looking at how these vehicles are used and understand some more of the issues around them. 
Uh, and I also expect that a lot of a lot of people are going to be talking to cities around the world in order to discover the common framework of regulations that so far has worked for for a number of other cities. But absolutely, it would be great to get a pilot up and running in, in Ireland, and hopefully that will happen pretty soon. Okay, and then one more thing before we go. Where can we find out about uh, what you guys do? What's your website address and kind of details? You can find us on www.anadu.com. That's A-N-A-D-U-E. Okay, and uh, are you also on social media as well? We are. Uh, Adam, you can, tell, you can talk about that. Uh, the uh, Twitter account is Anadu Marketing. Yeah. So at, at Anadu Marketing, uh, spelt exactly as Mike said earlier, A-N-A-D-U-E. Um, and we also have a LinkedIn page, but I would say most of our um, updates are spread through Twitter at the moment. Okay, that's fine. Thanks for that conversation, guys. Have, have a great day and uh, good luck in the future. I'll take it easy. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much, much Renan. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.